Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. seeing the, the things that I'm doing, but I want to call you out. 
I want to call you to come and to follow me, to be part of my kingdom community, to be part of my band of disciples who would lay down their lives for, for what it is I'm calling you to. And out of there, Jesus begins calling his disciples. And, uh, and then we have this part in the story where Jesus selects the twelve. Out of his disciples, he chooses twelve men who will follow him and who will become the apostles, kind of the leaders of his future kingdom movement. So he chooses the twelve. He comes back uh, to his other disciples after spending some time with the twelve. He's there. The disciples are there. A large crowd of hangers-on are still kind of checking him out. And then he sits down and he begins to teach them. And this is where we, we kind of pick up the story in Luke chapter 6. It's the, one of these large sections of teachings of Jesus. And, and up to this point, there hasn't been any, but now Jesus is sitting down and he's teaching his disciples. And it's interesting, the starting point where he starts teaching his disciples is he begins teaching them this one fact. If you will follow me, chances are you will be persecuted. People will not like you. You might be mocked. You might be insulted. You may get hurt. Being part of my kingdom movement is not a safe movement. It is not safe and fun for the whole family. It could get you into a whole heap of trouble. But, but, let me say this. If you become part of this kingdom movement, you will be blessed. You will experience blessings in this life and the life that is to come in a way that you can never, ever ask for imagine. Now, it's at this point that we pick up today's text. Just after Jesus begins addressing this issue, the starting point is persecution. We begin the text today. So I'm going to just start into the first part of the text, Luke chapter 6, verse 27. And here's what it says up on screen. But to you who are listening, so there's this crowd, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Hey, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And this is the word of God. Can we pray? Lord, we pray that today you would take your your word set it on fire in our hearts. We pray that you take your word and you bring it to life inside us. We thank you, Jesus. You are the word behind the word. You are the living word of God. You are the Logos. You're the one who speaks. And we pray that through your spirit you teach us today. And we just surrender ourselves and submit ourselves to you. Whatever it is that you have to do with us. Spirit speak, we pray. That's it. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, so here's the question. How do we respond to those proposals? In the world in which we live today, how, how, does, how does a Christian respond to people who think differently than us, those who might even wrong us, perhaps those who might even hate us or hurt us? And Jesus, in this text, he unfolds a radically alternative way of responding to such opposition and hatred. And he's telling his followers, hey, this is, this is what it means to live as members of the new kingdom community, this kingdom community that is breaking through, heaven breaking through here on earth. And he's describing this upside-down kingdom that has radically different values than the world that's around him. What Jesus is requiring of all of his followers is this radical enemy 
love. Now, it's important to understand, this was a radical idea. Radical idea in Jesus' day, radical idea in our day. But in Christ's day, no other teacher from antiquity had taught this. The rabbis that surrounded Jesus in that day did not teach it. They never taught it before. Uh, if you were to go to all of the other world religions that are out there, and you were to look at all of the teachings of their famous teachers and scholars, you would not find this teaching anywhere. It was Jesus who first put forth this idea. And for many of us today, we, we feel like, oh, it's kind of familiar. Yeah, love your enemies, right? We take it in like mother's milk. Yeah, of course. Um, easy to hear, easy to quote, not so easy to live out. And so today, I'd, I'd like to explore this radical new way that Jesus is calling his disciples towards. A radical new way of loving people. And I think today, as we look at the text, talk about two things. We're going to explore two ideas from the text about what this radical love looks like. The first one is just simply this. Radical love does. And the second one is this. Radical love costs. Let me first talk about radical love does. The first thing we observe if we read this text of scripture today is that radical love does. Love is a verb. Love is a doing thing. Jesus said that love does good. It blesses. It prays. It gives. It is active. It is not passive. Radical love does. But more than that, Jesus says that it does this for the people who we least want to love. You notice Jesus didn't say, he didn't say, love your lover. He didn't say, love your best friend. He didn't even say, love your neighbors. In this part of the text, he said, love your enemies. Those who oppose you, those who disagree with you, those who hate you, and here he's describing a radical kind of love that does. See, here's the thing. Is when, when someone hurts us, uh, we are usually faced with two options. The first option is retaliation. So, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You took something from me, I'm going to take something from you. And this is the worst case scenario for retaliation. The second option is refrain. If someone hates you or hurts you, don't retaliate. Just, you know, just kind of walk away. Do nothing. Ignore them. If you have to, maybe tolerate them. But refrain from it. Well, Jesus says, neither of these two options is the one I'm calling you towards. There's a third option. That third option is radical love that does. Jesus says it's not enough to hold back. Radical love pushes forward. It responds with generosity, with good, with prayer, with blessing. And to illustrate this, Jesus uses a, a literary device, and it's, it's actually called overstatement. He gives a couple of examples of worst-case scenarios uh, just to illustrate his point because you don't turn the other cheek. He says, give somebody the shirt off of your back. So he's just overstating in this moment to drive home this point. Is this simply as radical love does? We should give, give, and give some more. And the true test of our love isn't how we treat our friends. Jesus says the true test of our love is how we treat our enemies. You know, a more recent example of this radical love um, can be found uh, in a story, uh, West Nickel Mine School shooting it took place in 2006 in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. You might remember this story. It's about a 10 years old, but there was a lone gunman. His name was Charles Robert. He backed his truck up to a one-room schoolhouse full of Amish kids. He went inside the schoolhouse, barricaded it shut. He shot 10 of the children. Five of them died, and then he shot himself. And all of this victims of this senseless tragedy, every single one of them were Amish Christians. Now, the, the, mo the, the most remarkable part of this very horrific story was the response of the Amish Christians. 
that took place not very long after the shooting. Now, of course, they were shocked, right? And then, of course, together they gathered as a community and they grieved over this terrible, terrible event. They grieved for their children. They grieved for their families. But what's interesting is that in the midst of their pain, they did not blame or cast fingers or point fingers. You know, as the story goes, the afternoon of this very shooting, one of the grandfathers of one of the children that was murdered stood up and publicly confessed his forgiveness for the killing. And not long after that, many of the other members of the Amish community began to do the same. The parents of the shooter, the parents of Charles Roberts, he believed that he could never, ever face his Amish neighbors again. How could you ever face them for what his son has done? But that same day, his Amish neighbor showed up at their house and began to comfort his parents in their sorrow and in their pain. And then later that week, the parents kind of huddled together around a gravesite and held a private funeral for their dead son. Forty Amish neighbors showed up and surrounded them and cared for them and loved them and grieved with them as they had this funeral for their dead son. The Amish community even donated money to the village widow and the three young children. The question is, why on earth did they do this? And the answer is because they believed what Jesus taught. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for them. This is what radical love actually does. You know, Frederick Buchner, he's, a, he's an American writer, a theologian, a Presbyterian minister. Uh, it's, you may have read some of his writings. Brilliant writer, brilliant mind. Uh, he writes in this book called The Magnificent Defeat. He writes about this. And here's what he says. We'll put it up on the screen. He says, the love for equals is a human thing. A friend for friend, brother for brother. It's to love what is loving and lovely. And the world smiles. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, unlovely. This is compassion. It touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail. To rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich, of the black man for the white man. The world is always bewildered by its sins. And then there is the love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. Tortured love for the torturer. This is God's love that conquers the world. What is this radical love? This radical love does. But then Jesus goes on to say that this radical love conquers the Let's continue in the text, verse 32. Here's what Jesus says. He says, listen, listen, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. So Jesus is saying here, radical love is not cheap. It's not something you can get at a dollar store. It's not something that's supposed to get you a good return on your investment. He says that radical love, at the end of the day, radical love, it will cost you. Jesus says that those outside the kingdom look at love differently than those inside his kingdom. And you know, for many, what Jesus is getting at here, for many, the guiding principle in relationships is something that's known as reciprocity. Reciprocity. What is reciprocity? Reciprocity is the idea that if I give something to you, you are required to give something back to me. Or, taking it even further, I will not give something to you unless I know that when I give it to you, 
you're going to give me something back in return. So it's the idea, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, tit for tat, right? And much of our world that we live in still operates on the basis of reciprocity. Uh, if I give you some free business for my company, I'm expecting that your company is going to give me some free business in return, right? After all, nothing is free in this world. Or if your, if your organization donates to my charity, I promise, I promise that we will put your logo on our website. We will put your logo on all of our advertising. That's reciprocity. Uh, if you help me move my house this month, I will help you move your house next month. get you a hundred dollar wedding gift, um, I will do so if I know that there is a full course meal in a lovely place with an open bar. If your wedding is in a rat trap, you're getting a fifty dollar gift. That's just the way reciprocity works. Uh, now don't tell me that you haven't gone to a wedding and done some calculation and thought about it, okay? What do we get for a wedding gift? Does anyone know? What is a, what is a good wedding gift? Anyway, but it's interesting that Reciprocity finds its way into so many parts of our lives. Human beings are always calculating. We are always trying to determine what's in it for me. What's the kickback? What's the return on investment for this? But Jesus says that his kingdom and his kingdom followers are to have a radically different disposition Virtue signaling, okay? 
click on like or share for your favorite cause, you're not just supporting the effort, you're also signaling to everybody else who's out there on social media that, hey, I'm doing a good thing. And subconsciously, you may even be hoping to gain a better standing among your friends by appearing to support a good cause. Now, that wouldn't be anybody in here. I understand that. Wouldn't be me. Okay. I would never signal to everyone, hey, look, look at me. I'm a good person who supports good causes. Isn't this the tricky and messy thing about social media? I mean, can we just acknowledge that in the day in which we live? This is what's, what's interesting about the day in which we live. Because sometimes, even in our best intentions on social media, reciprocity creeps in. And that reciprocity can even play with our motives. Now, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't support worthy causes on social media, but I want us to consider this as followers of Jesus, as believers of Christ, in the day in which we live. Is this the kind of costly love that Jesus is getting at? Or is there something more costly that we could do? Is there a better way for believers in Christ to love than just liking and sharing? Now, perhaps one of the most radical statements that Jesus makes is found in verse 34. I'm going to read it for you again. He says, And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. Now, let me just uh, jump back into Jesus' day here. In, in his day, most people operated on um, what was known as uh, patronal ethics. Patronal ethics. Let me unpack that. Let me explain that. A patron was somebody who would help you out in that culture. And they would help you out by performing a very, very significant act of service, or they would help you out by giving you a very, very large sum of money. Okay, so they were kind of like a bank, but it wasn't a bank, it was a person. And if they helped you out in this way, you were in debt to your patron. Okay? And uh, they, you basically became obligated to this person. And everywhere you went, you'd think, that's my patron, that's the person who's helped me out. And there was this, this huge string that was attached between you and your patron. The entire Roman Empire was actually uh, organized around this principle of patronal ethics. So the way to get ahead, the way to move up in society, the way to get noticed in the Roman Empire was to become a patron. If you became a patron, it strengthened your position in the community, and uh, other people would obviously be in your debt. And of course, this worked tremendously well for the patrons, right? If you were on the patron side of things, it was great, because people owed you. It was like the godfather, right? Okay, you know, one day I'm going to come and cash in on the debt that's owed to me, right? That was the kind of way it worked. But one commentator said it was not good for those who were on the other side. One commentator described it as an intrusive, suffocating web of obligations. But if you wanted to become an elite in the Roman society, you couldn't do it without being a patron. In fact, the Roman emperor was the greatest of all patrons in the Roman society. I say all that to say this. For Jesus to say this, for Jesus to say, lend to people but expect nothing in return. It's a completely foreign and radical idea. If the empire was a bicycle racing downhill, what Jesus just said was like a baseball bat thrown into the spokes of that bicycle. Okay? I did that once for the Okay? Essentially, this was an idea that turned the world upside down. This idea that Jesus...
Jesus was sharing challenged the entire system that the Roman Empire was built on. It sabotaged the politics of the empire itself. And it's no surprise whatsoever that Christians were hated and persecuted for who they were and what they believed. And yet, even though Christians were increasingly persecuted for most of the first three centuries, okay, there's increasing persecution. Even though they experienced that, their response was always radical love, radical love, love for the enemy. So that when the plague came to Rome, the plague came to Rome in, a, in, in those first three centuries, okay, many of the citizens in Rome were, were dying, and their family's members just abandoned them. They like, I don't know what to do with my dying family member. They just threw them out into the streets so that they could die there in the gutter because they didn't want to get sick themselves and they didn't know what to do. The gods in the temples weren't helping them. Nothing was helping. There was no solution. They just took family members and threw them out into the streets. And it was the Christians who responded with radical love. They went into the streets. They took these people into their own homes. They provided hospice and hospitality to them. The people they cared for, ironically, were often their enemies. There were people who were loyal to Caesar, loyal to Rome. Some of them would have even mocked them or rejected them just weeks prior. But even in spite of that, it was Christians who loved them, who cared for them, and allowed them to die with dignity. And they did this at risk of their own health. They did this at risk of losing their own lives. They just loved, loved, and loved some more. And here's what's interesting. In that time, the Emperor Julian, he wrote about Christians. And he said that Christians took better care of Rome's poor and sick than Rome did. And then he took it one step further. He said that this radical love of Christians was a threat to Rome's sovereignty. Of course, he was right. Because the radical love of Jesus challenged the entire system that Rome was built on. And the kingdom of God from beneath was sabotaging the empire of Rome. And by the 3rd century AD, the moral fabric of Rome was radically transformed. So that by the time of Constantine, when Constantine came into power, 50% of the Roman Empire were already followers of Jesus. Some people who like to reinvent history would like to say that Constantine made the Roman Empire a Christian. That is not historically accurate. What's historically accurate is that the Roman Empire was already radically Christian. And Constantine saw an opportunity, and he just joined with him. And what was it that radically transformed the Roman Empire? It was the power of God working through the radical love of believers in Christ who were willing to understand and believe the radical love of God, radical love of Christ. Brothers and sisters, hey, if we want to really make a change in the world, it's going to take radical love, and this radical love is going to you will get blisters on your hands and feet, sweat stains on your clothes. You will get a thinner wallet and a smaller reputation. But this is what Jesus is inviting us as believers in Christ into in this kingdom of Jesus. Now, if you're anything like me, when you really consider the magnitude of what Jesus is asking us, right? This seems huge, right? It, it, it seems overwhelming. And if you're anything like me, you're going to ask this question. It's a really big question. How is this radical love even possible? How is it possible? Because let me share with you a little bit of my life. Okay? Um, I think it was on Wednesday. I was working on this message.
Gehenda is jammed with cars. Like it's, it's, it's just packed, and it's it's not pretty getting in, and it's you know everybody's agitated. You can just tell everybody wants to get home. And um, as I'm pulling off the ramp onto the Hende, behind me there's like a 20-something guy, you know, and he's driving a one of those fancy, souped-up Japanese sports cars. Okay. And he's got a sense of urgency in him. And the reason I know there's a sense of urgency in him is because he's riding my bumper. And he's riding my bumper really hard, right? And, he's, and, you know, it's one of those situations where the guy, you think the guy thinks that if you ride your bumper hard, that's suddenly going to make the four cars in front of you that are going really slow go faster. You ever been in that scenario, right? And so I'm getting a little bit agitated because I'm thinking, dude, like, this is a, this is a bad, messy situation. Bumper, bumper traffic. An accident is going to happen. Well, wouldn't you know, uh, like, Four cars up, somebody suddenly slams on the brakes, right? And then there's this chain reaction. Other people slam on the brakes. Brakes, brakes, brakes. I hit the brakes, and then I'm thinking, he's riding my bumper. I look in the mirror, he's not paying attention. So, he's coming up on me really, 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 really fast, and I'm like, ah, I don't know what to do. I wheel it over into the ditch, not into the ditch, but over onto the side of the road. He just misses me, and then he hits the gas, and goes out. And he just goes by me. What did I do in that moment? Well, as he went by, I, I said, well, God bless you. This peace be upon you. I pulled over to the side of the road, and I spent about 10 minutes there, praying to God for his soul, that they might come to knowledge of the truth. And then I, I had his license plate, so I sent him like just a little bit, just so that he knows what it feels like, right? Reciprocity in its finest moment. I will admit, though, that as I was approaching him, this conviction of the Lord came upon me, and God said, didn't you just spend three hours talking about loving your enemies? <laughs> Shouldn't you be doing something different in this moment? I just repented. I said, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So I laid back, and, and then I went and Thank you. 
Jesus seems to be saying here is, is, is the radical love that we so want to live out finds its source in God himself. That it comes from being children of God who are in the Father's love. And so when we love this way, we are demonstrating something to the world. We're demonstrating to the world that we are, in fact, God's own children who are dearly loved by the Father. We show the world that we are just like the Father, this Father who is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked, this Father who is merciful to his enemies. And our radical love for our enemies, therefore, is rooted in God's radical love for us. And so the way for us to live out this radical love is to embrace this radical love. And how do we do that? Well, let me just talk about a couple things as we wind down here this morning. Here's the first thing. Is the first thing, if we want to get there, if we want to become like our Father, who is love, the first thing is we have to receive the radical love that God has for us. Receive the radical love that God has for us. See, the, the starting point for becoming a radical lover is understanding that even though you were God's enemy, God still loved you. And you might be here today, and I, and I realize this might be new for you. You might be thinking, hey, enemy of God. I mean, that's, well, that seems a little bit harsh. But this is actually how the Bible describes all people. Let me give you an example. Colossians 1.21. It says this. Once you were alienated, speaking to Christians, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. In the Bible, it understands that all people have been in rebellion to God. We're all playing, we have all been playing for the wrong team. That's the nature of what it means to be. But the most amazing thing is that even though we were enemies, God postured himself towards us because he loved us. John 3.16, the verse we all know so well, which is shown at many sports events. For God so loved the world, a world full of enemies, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. God loved us so much. He loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus into the world to pay for our rebellion. He took our failures, he took our guilt, he took our shame, and he nailed them to the cross. And then three days later, he rose from the grave, demonstrating that the payment was received in full. How does God respond to his enemies? With radical love. God says to his enemies, Here is the whip. Shred my back to pieces. Here is the crown. Crush it into my skull. Here are the nails. Smash them through my hands. Here is the spear. Thrust it into my side. Mock me. Reject me. Shame me. And I will respond with love. And I will give you my life. But here's the thing, friends. To love like God loves, you have to receive this love for yourself. So, because this love, um, it, the reason why is because it's something that lives inside of you. The only way for love to go out from you is for love to first go into you. This love, this radical love, has to become a very personal part of you. Something that's going to transform and melt your heart. You cannot give love to a world if you have not first received this love. You see, the problem is, if you're anything like me, you'll know this to be true, but the problem is, is that we love ourselves more than we love anything else. That's the nature of the human heart. The Bible talks about this. It's, it's, the nature of the human heart is that it's incredibly selfish. It's inwardly focused. The Bible teaches that the natural inclination of the human heart is always towards self. Self-preservation. Self-elevation. We are self-centered people. And so when Jesus asks us, hey, I want you to love others who hate you, wow, that's huge, right? 
something like that would require like a radical re-engineering of the human heart. Because my human heart is all about me. It would, it would, it would require this massive, sweeping change that would have to happen on the inside of me. But the scripture teaches us very plainly is that when you surrender your life to Christ, and when you invite him into your life, he begins this inner work of transformation. And it's a very loving work. He comes to live inside of you. He begins to renovate your heart. He changes your loves so that you go from being a self-centered person to being a God-centered person and being an other-centered person. And this radical re-engineering is possible. You know, for me, 20 years ago, I, I was bound up in hate. I was bound up in anger. And it was, I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't get it out of me. One thing that got it out of me was the transforming power of the love of Christ in me. And maybe you're here this morning, and you're bound up in hate and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. And the whole possibility of ever moving beyond that just seems remote. It seems like something beyond your wildest dreams. The promise to you today is to surrender your life to Christ and invite him into your life. Change your heart. Let me ask you this morning: Have you received Christ into your life? Perhaps today is, is the first day that you'll do that. To say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to play for the other team anymore. I don't want to live in rebellion. I, I don't want to be your enemy. I want to respond to your love. Maybe for today, that's the, that's the prayer of your heart. What you can pray: I, I, I'm, I'm giving you my life. Forgive me my sin. Turn them over to you. And Jesus, I receive you into my life. Begin now to change me from the inside Maybe for today, that's the starting point for you. That's the prayer of new life for you. As you begin to move towards this radical Now, here's the second thought for this morning. Not only do we need to receive this love, but we actually have to live in this radical love. The more you grow to understand just how forgiven you are, just how well loved you are, the more loving you will become towards others. To grow in this understanding, you have to live in this love daily. Well, how do you do this? Well, you do it by reminding yourself of it every day, and you, remind, and you do it by receiving it every single day. So from the moment you wake up, you remind yourself, I am dearly loved by the Father. I am saved not by what I do, but what He's done on my behalf. You remind yourself of it. You receive it from the moment you wake up until the moment you put your head down on the pillow. You continue to remind yourself again and again who you are. This is why followers of Jesus keep spiritual practices and rhythms. This is why we gather as a church community. This is why we read our Bibles. This is why we pray consistently. We do that not just because it's a dull ritual. We do that so that we can live in the truth of the gospel. We can remind ourselves again and again and again so the only way you can daily respond to the world with radical love is to 
No, you wait for him. Okay? <laughs> but God wouldn't love you anymore. He wouldn't. God's posture towards you, and you need to hear this this morning, God's posture towards you isn't based on your good or bad behavior. It is based on the fact that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life of obedience, and he died a perfect death of sacrifice. And because you have put your faith in him, you are in Christ Jesus, and he is in you. God could never love you more because he already loves you perfectly through Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is the truth of the gospel. And that is the truth of the gospel that will radically transform you if you let it. And you live in it every day. So live in the truth of the gospel. So the question I want to end with this morning is this. What would it look like for Crosspoint Church to commit our lives and our families and our church to extend this kind of love even when the hurting world views us as part of the problem. 
Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.